Thanks, worship team. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? I'm Rob, if we haven't met. I'm still Rob, if we have met. Um, so the new statistics show that by age 38, the average student will have 10 to 14 jobs. That's like one every less than two years. So I didn't want to be part of that statistic, so uh, I had it all planned out. Uh, I was going to double major in college, math and engineering, minor in sales, have my professional engineer by 27, sales by 35, management by 42, retire at 55, with the two-story house, three-car garage, two or three children, cute wife, hot car, hot wife, cute car, anyway, (laughs) don't want to get distracted there. I do love my wife, though. Anyway, that didn't happen. As, as you might know, and I became part of that statistic, or I added to that statistic. I was, I was 21 years old, and I thought I'd do my summer of charity, where um, I would go to a Bible camp, and I'd, I'd volunteer, and I'd make like one-tenth of what I made the previous summer, and then I'd do that for a summer. I would then go get my professional, or my internship in structural engineering, and then, you know, I'd be on my way. Two weeks into camp on a Thursday night at sunset, walking up this mountain with about 200 students, I had this overwhelming feeling that God wanted me to build bridges to people rather than just bridges. So I went back to college and I figured out how I could graduate in five years, not four. That was an awkward conversation with my parents. And so I thought, well, I could teach math because then I could build people who could build bridges. And that would work, and I love math, so I became a math teacher. And I realized that not everyone, shocking news as it is, not everyone loves geometry and advanced math as much as I do. I didn't know. I assigned homework every night, and I'm like, this is the greatest thing in the world, and if you can't do math, you just need to do more of it because then you'll get it. And so we started to do math. Shocking, students didn't do their homework but I had it down. We would go through this conversation. Did you do your homework? Uh, No. Why? I had to work. Why'd you have to work? Well, I need money. Well, why do you need money? Uh, Because I got to pay for my car. Why do you have to have a car? Well, because I have to work. Oh, so if you didn't have to work, you wouldn't need a car, and then you wouldn't need money to put gas in your car or pay for your car, and then you could actually get your homework done, and then you would pass my class something like that. I might have had it down. But, and they would say, oh, right, yeah. And I, I, was, I was really good at that conversation. I mean, I had that one like three or four times a day. Uh, until my second year, in period six, when I asked Matt, who was a junior in a sophomore class, and I said, Matt, did you get your homework done? And he said, no, I didn't. Well, why not? Well, because I needed to work. Well, why do you need to work? Because I need money. Why do you need money? And then he said, I need money because my dad left. And it's just my mom, my sister, and I. And uh, my, my sister really has a shot at going to a good school. And I don't want to be a burden for my parents. And so, um, so I pay for what I can. Um, my clothes and my car. And I just, I just want to help my mom out. So I didn't do your homework. And at that moment, all I wanted to say was like, Matt, 
you really need Jesus, not geometry. And so, like, have you ever had one of those moments where you just, you just woke up to the reality that what you were doing is not what you were supposed to be doing? And that was that day for me. And period six was the day I woke up to this idea that I wasn't supposed to build bridges, that I wasn't supposed to build just bridges to math students, but that I was supposed to do something different with my life. And, and God would eventually call me into youth ministry, and then he would eventually call me into to this, to being with you, to leading this group. It wasn't what I wanted, necessarily. It wasn't what I sat and dreamed about. And, and this idea of waking up to a new vocation, or waking up to a new job, or waking up to a new role, it doesn't mean like you're going to leave the real world and you're going to go into ministry. It doesn't have to mean that. It doesn't have to mean church work. It just means that, like I said two weeks ago on Easter, that the resurrection changes everything. Everything. And that means that, that Jesus can speak into your work life. He can speak into your vocational roles. And so today, that's what we're talking about. And so to do that, we're going to hit John 21. So if you have the Bible, you can turn to John 21. It's the last chapter in that gospel. If you want to read it, we have Bibles in the back. You can grab one. And if you don't have one, you can just take it home with you. If you have seven, though, don't take it home. In, in John 21, it's almost like this writer has already finished the book. John 20 ends, there's a nice climax. Jesus says, go, and he breathes the spirit on the disciples, and it's kind of like it's, it's done. And so this chapter is even titled in some of your Bibles, epilogue, like appendix. Why did he add this? Well, I think there's a reason why he added this. So in John 21, it says this. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to the disciples, this time by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter said. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood by the shore, but the disciples didn't recognize him. He called out to them, friends, he called out to them maybe, children, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your nets on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Let's pray for a moment. Uh, God, this is your word. Uh, it's your story and we take it as that. Help us to understand what you meant and, and what it means for our lives today. We just open ourselves to whatever you might have for us. Not, not my words, but where your spirit is going. Amen. Okay, so here's the story as I see it. Easter's over. It's time to get back to work. We need to get back to the real world and the realities of life. Besides, these men are fishermen, or most of them are, and that's what they know. That's what they're good at, and that's where they can make money. And, and really, when you think about it, like that's what we're told, right? I, I used to tell students this. You need to find something you like, you need to find something you're good at, and you need to find something that you can make money at. And if you can get something that's all three, woohoo! You are, you've, you've hit the sweet spot. And that's what we're told, and that's what the world we live in, that's the socioeconomic 
part of life, we, we often tell young people the choices are endless. And like, go out and discover your dream role, your vocation. Just believe and achieve it. And then like the last decade happens. And all of a sudden, people's jobs aren't swell. College students come home, and what happens? They have to stay home. I mean, there's like a support group for 22 to 28-year-olds because they're like, I still live with mom and dad, but maybe if I just say I'm staying with them, it won't sound as permanent. I'm not meaning to make fun of them. Like, I have many of them as friends. The job world is just tough. And so all of a sudden, the dream vocation has really like turned into nightmares um, or at least stressful, wake-filled hours of non-sleep. And that's kind of like what I think is going on with the disciples here. Because because earlier in in the gospel, we find out that Peter has a mother-in-law that Jesus healed. So that means Peter's married. Peter probably has children because birth control, let's just be honest, probably wasn't so good back then. Just saying. So many of the disciples, I'm guessing, have spouses, families. They have a life that they're supposed to, that they kind of put on hold. They said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And maybe their spouses were like, woohoo! And maybe they were like, call me when this is over. I mean, we don't, we don't know, but, but it, ever since Jesus died, it kind of seems like my adventure with Jesus is over. Even though I've seen him twice, since the resurrection, it's kind of done. There is no real sensible plan to follow Jesus. And if we were honest, maybe there's some of you that are like, you know, that's kind of how I feel most of the week. I, I like God and I like church and I like my life with Jesus and I love my Saturdays and Sundays where I get to have a little adventure maybe or I get to sleep in and, you know, I go to church, which isn't quite as cool as seeing the resur- resurrected Jesus, but, you know, I get this sliver of hope. I get this spark of of something that there's more than something today, that, that there is this kingdom and this heaven that's coming. And I get a spark of that, but by 10 a.m. on Monday, it is just gone. If you're a student, it's period three. If you're, uh, if you're an adult, it's like coffee break or cigarette break or whatever. It's like, ugh, I'm done. And I think that's a little bit of what the disciples felt like their spiritual world with Jesus is becoming more and more separate from their real life. And I think a lot of us live this way. Our our work world and our our spiritual world, they're just kind of separate. Now look at what the, the night of work for these fishermen, what it's produced. They're probably tired. They might be exhausted. They might feel unsuccessful, unfulfilled, depressed, worthless, anxious, miserable, but definitely empty-handed. Now, on the positive side, they have work. They have a task to do. They feel useful. It's where they, if you will, they can kind of control the situation. They can depend on themselves. And when we're honest, we like to depend on ourselves, right? Because we know what to expect. And, and they know this lake. They have been on this lake year after year. They know when to catch fish. They know where to catch fish. And, and they've come up completely 
empty. Now, you think about your roles, whether it's, uh, whether it's a, a, a real job or, or it's a, a hobby or it's, it's somewhere you put a lot of time. How many of you think it's kind of boring? Okay, some of you are lying, but I know on the look on your face. <laughs> you sit or you stand or you work, but really what you'd rather do is just watch the hands on the clock Just go by until 5 o'clock or whenever you're done and it's over because cause it's boring. And you wonder if Jesus could ever enter that work situation. Just like the disciples, it's dawn, it's breaking, they can, they can see a guy on the shore, but they can't recognize it's Jesus. You just can't recognize that Jesus would come into your, your role. Um, now maybe some of you feel like your role or your vocation is empty because you don't have a job. And I don't mean to offend anyone, but like you didn't even get in the boat and go fishing. Or you can't get in the boat and go fishing because no one's hiring, or you're physically, emotionally, or mentally limited. Or, or you just, you've been holding out for that dream job or that dream role or that old job that you used to have and it's not happening. Or maybe you decided that you were going to pause work to do a different work where you didn't get paid and, and, it, and, and you're raising kids. But in your heart of hearts, it's really, really hard work. And you'd rather be in the workforce because you feel like you'd be better at it. On the flip side, maybe some of you are, are working and you'd rather not be working. You'd rather be doing something else, whether, whether that's raising kids or being home, and you're kind of resentful for it. You're resentful to God if you think about it. You're resentful to, to your spouse if you're married. You, you might even be resentful to yourself. Maybe that's you. Maybe the role that you're in is, is kind of meaningless. You feel like it's meaningless. And you just wonder, does it even matter? Like I had students in my geometry class and they're like, does it even matter? Like when are we ever going to use this? And then of course I had like a 10 minute presentation for them, but you're, you're long beyond school and you just sit and you do your work and you're like, does it matter? Does anyone care? Will anyone even notice in five years? Maybe... That's, none of, that's not your situation at all. Because maybe you have like an edge-of-your-seat adventure job. And, and you have a good salary, and you like it. It's great. But it's kind of unethical. I was talking to one guy, and he's like, I own a bar. So, uh, yeah, I've served people drinks way beyond closing time. Way beyond when they should have. How, how do I bring Jesus to that one? And I'm like, don't come tomorrow. Uh, maybe you're in sales and you're forced to sell stuff that people don't need. And you're persuasive, so they buy it. Maybe you're in insurance or you're in healthcare, and, and you have to charge stuff. Uh, you have to bill for, for stuff that people didn't have. They didn't need. They didn't want. 
but you need to get that up to a certain point so the insurance company will give enough money. But you know, if uh, the insurance company doesn't pay for it, the patient has to. Or, or you made a mistake in a project at work and, and now the boss wants you to cover it up because he wants to avoid a lawsuit or, or she wants to make sure that, that the project doesn't have to be redone or, or the boss just doesn't want the timeline set back and now you're wondering, what do I do with that? Or you're in loans and mortgages and you can just like slide all these little fees in that most people won't ever notice or, or you're in business or you're in mergers or you like buy out we companies and in the process you destroy businesses and you take people's jobs away. And this stuff, wherever you're at, but this stuff keeps you up at night. And you wonder like, can Jesus enter that? And I'm telling you that, that the resurrection validates everything that Jesus said. And Jesus talked about heaven, yes, He talked about salvation, yes, but he talked about work and kingdom ethics all the time. I mean, a bunch of these people were fishermen. He told stories about fish and fishing. A bunch of people were farmers, and he told stories about farming. He told stories about life, and he told stories about how the kingdom ethics can come into the world, and and Jesus can show up in that. But do we recognize when he does? Like, the disciples had no idea that it was Jesus on shore. For all they knew, it was some kook who'd been up all night, and, and he's like, throw your net on the other side. What? What are you talking about? Like, we've caught nothing. They could see the boat 100 yards offshore, and they fished all night, so most likely the net is draped over top of the boat, kind of hanging off the side. It's drying. They're done. They're putting stuff away. They, they're just exhausted And Jesus says, throw your net on the other side. And what do they do? It says, back in the text, back in verse 4, early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but they didn't realize it was him. He called out to them, friends, lads, have you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, throw your net on the other side, on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. What do fishermen do? If you want to be politically correct, what do fisher people do? They catch fish, right? And when you don't catch fish, you don't feel like you flourish. You don't feel like you're successful. But when you catch fish, now you're a fisher person that that flourishes. If you're a student, you make the grade and now you're flourishing. If you're a teacher, your students succeed and now you're flourishing. If you're a business person and you sell something, now you're flourishing and Jesus is helping the disciples flourish. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, verse 7, says to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him and he jumped in the water and the other disciples followed in the boat, towing the full net of fish for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. Jesus entering your workplace, entering your roles, occupationally, vocationally, means that, that Jesus wants to help you flourish. You saying yes to Jesus, saying, okay, I'm in this spot, means that 
means that you want to help other people flourish. It doesn't mean that you have to like quit your job and become a, a pastor. It doesn't mean that you have to like go into work and pants out little pamphlets about heaven or hell or anything like that. It doesn't mean you have to be religiously crazy. It just means you want to help people flourish. See the kingdom of God. Inject kingdom ethics into life. Now, the disciples had to make a choice. They went from, do we depend on ourselves or we trust Jesus? And they threw over the net. For us, that means, I think, I think it means that we believe that God can change our vocations. He can change our roles. He can change our circumstances. Now, some of you, it, it does mean you need to change your job. And you don't like what I'm saying because you know it's true. You know deep down that, that you're in a spot because you've settled. And you're tired. You might be dejected, but you just feel empty-handed in what you do. You don't feel like you're in your strengths. You don't feel like you're in your gifts. You don't feel like you're doing what God wants you to do. And, and maybe it's because you bought into the kind of American, but definitely suburban, gotta have lie. I gotta have this, and I gotta have that, and I need the nice house, I gotta have the nice car, I gotta go on good vacations. And, and you, whether that's you or not, you just need to pray hard about, God, do you have me in the right place? Because life's too short to not be in the right spot. I'm not telling you to throw off your clothes and jump out of the boat and quit your job irrationally. Let's think about this. Let's look at the text. Peter's in the boat and he jumps out, but he tied his, his coat on his waist so he didn't show up, you know, naked or, or inappropriately clothed with Jesus. He also didn't just jump out of the boat um, and not know where he was going. He was swimming to Jesus and he didn't just jump out thinking it was like uh, an unsustainable swim away. It was 100 yards. People can dog paddle 100 yards. They can float on their back 100 yards. Most people don't drown after swimming 100 yards. Some, but not most. So I guess my point to that is don't quit your job tomorrow and blame me, okay? <laughs> but, but some of you are going to pray and you're going to know you need to make a change. Some of you are in school and you're in the wrong major and you've just kept going year after year and semester after semester. Don't end up like me and change your fourth year. Your parents don't like that. But some of you are going to pray and you're going to find out that you're exactly where God wants you. It might be the, not the most amazing job. It might not be the thing that you dreamed about. But you're exactly where he wants you. Maybe he's got a sense of humor about it, but he definitely has a purpose for it. And he's saying, I want you to figure out what it looks like to help people flourish in this place. Now, if that makes you kind of nervous or kind of anxious, if, if you're thinking like, if I don't figure this out, like the kingdom of God is never going to enter my workplace or my school or whatever, just kind of relax. The text says, that they hauled in this 153 fish. And, and what does it say in verse 9? When they landed, they saw a fire burning and there were fish on it. John is a pretty amazing writer. He doesn't just waste words. There was already fish on it. 
Did Jesus want to see fishermen catch fish? Absolutely. He wants them to flourish. Did Jesus need any of those fish? I don't think so. There were fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've caught. Not because I need it, but I'm inviting you to dine with me. I'm inviting you to enter my situation. I'm inviting you to let me enter your situation. So Simon Peter climbed back in the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and he took bread and he gave it to them and did the same with the fish. Now, it was the third time that Jesus had appeared to the disciples after the resurrection. John is a super big numbers guy. Like he lists off five disciples by name and then he's like, two more. Why? I think because he wanted to get to the number seven because that would mean completeness. And he wanted to say it was enough disciples to do the job. This is the third time because three brings us around to the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. Three is a good number, so this is the third time. This is a big deal. There's probably some cool mathematical formula up to 153, but nobody's figured it out, so it doesn't bother talking about it. But he doesn't need you to do anything. He, he doesn't need your stuff. So if you're in a role and you're anxious and wondering like about this, it's okay, relax. Jesus has it. Like, he's the God of the universe. He created the heavens and the earth. I, I, I watched a video where there's billions and billions and billions of galaxies and galaxies among galaxies spinning. If you change jobs, he's going to be okay. The earth is going to continue to spin. But he invites us into it. He wanted to remind them of the time that, that he called them at the very beginning In Luke 5, 1 through 11, if you want to read it later, it's the very first time that Jesus calls his first followers. He goes out and teaches. He's very early on the scene. He gets in Simon Peter's boat, and he he teaches the people, and then he says to Simon, maybe Andrew's there too, throw your nets over. No, 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 master, we fished all night. We haven't caught anything. We'll throw them on the right side. He does, and they catch this huge load of fish. Jesus is trying to remind the disciples of when they first came to him. And if you're someone who's followed Jesus for any length of time, let me encourage you. I think that this speaks to us too, that that God likes to remind us of how he's worked in our past to give us hope for the future. And he'll do things similar for our benefit especially when we're doubting. And he wanted them to know it was truly him. I have no idea what a resurrected, glorified body looks like, but apparently it's so amazing that they can't recognize if it's really Jesus. But they're sitting there and they think they just know. And he's trying to help them go, you know what, like I'm not going to be physically present anymore, but you can still trust me, you can still follow me, you can still obey me, even if it's kind of scary. So what does that mean, you know, for for you? What does that mean for your role, for your situations? Does it mean you need to change jobs or schools or or majors or or life situation? 
It, it might. I mean, for Peter, it did. He was called from being a fisherman to being a shepherd. That's what we see in the kind of remaining verses here. And if you're like, you know, I've tried stuff, I've done other stuff, you know, I've gone over and over in my roles, and I just can't figure it out. Remember Peter? Peter did a few things too, and he made a few mistakes. So this is way more than just Peter changing jobs. This is Peter getting reinstated. This is Peter being forgiven. It says in verse 15, when they finished eating, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, some people think he was talking about the fish because he went back to fishing. Maybe that's true. Some people think he was saying, do you love me more than these, talking to the other disciples. Now that, you know, I I at first didn't really like that because it seemed like it was comparing. And Jesus isn't about comparing, right? Because he doesn't want to rank people. But think about what Peter said the night before Jesus died. He said, Lord, even if everybody else leaves you, I will never desert you. Peter, pulling rank. Even if everybody else leaves, I'm, I'm going to be with you. And what happens? Oh no, he's not there. He denies him, not once, not twice, but three times. No, I don't know him. The last time, by a fire, to a servant girl who would have no rank or status. I mean, he is utterly paralyzed with fear and has completely denied Jesus. And so Peter looks at Jesus and he says, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. And then he goes a little further and says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you a second time. Then take care of my sheep. And then a third time, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And it says Peter was hurt that he had to ask three times, not catching the coincidence. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you're younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go, but follow me. Follow me. Peter denied him three times and Jesus asked if he loves three times. It's not a coincidence. He's restoring Peter. Great name for a church, I think. Um, Peter might even be there wondering, does the Lord even want to use me again? Because I've denied him three times. And I was reading this, like God made it really clear that I don't just deny Jesus once, I don't just deny Jesus twice, I deny Jesus all the time. I forget to ask God to direct my day. I, I meet people, and, and sometimes God even might be nudging me to, to talk to them about spiritual things, and I say, oh, I don't want to. And those are just the things I feel like I'm appropriately sharing with you. There's other ways too. And so maybe you're in a spot where you're like, I've, I've denied him too many times. I, I, I couldn't even change even if I wanted to because you don't know how many things I've denied. 
But as I was going for one of my prayer walks and I was sitting down by the lake, I was reminded of this. And I just felt like God saying, Rob, do you love me? And I was able to say, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Help people flourish. Feed my lambs. And if you're wondering, Lord, I've denied you so many times. Jesus, I've denied you so many times. Jesus, I don't even, I don't even know where I'm at with you. He's saying, do you love me? Do you love me? And if you do, help people flourish. If you love me, it doesn't matter how many times he asks. Do you see? He's going to keep asking. You deny him once, he'll ask you once. If you deny him a hundred times, he's probably going to ask a hundred times. And he's going to say, do you love me? And if you can say yes, then he's going he's to call you. He's going to say, I have something for you. Not because he needs it, because he wants you. So if you need prayer, we set up a prayer corner and it's not fancy. There's a couple chairs or you can just stand there. And in a moment, the band's going to come up. Actually, right now, the band's going to come up. And so we're going to sing another song. And as we do, if you want to go back and pray, there'll be people back there to pray. If you want to pray about your job or a future career, or a role that is challenging to you right now, people will pray with you. And they're not people that are perfect. They're just people that want to talk to you and talk to God on your behalf. And when the song's over, I'll come back up. I'll dismiss. You can still get coffee or bagels. You can meet somebody new. You can go on your merry way, whether you pray or not. That'll just be back there because we want to not miss an opportunity where God is saying, do you love me? And if you do, feed my sheep. If you do, help people flourish. So what does helping people flourish look like in your role right now, in your space in life? Ask him. He wants to see you flourish. He wants to see you in his kingdom, pushing these kingdom ethics out in love because everyone, everyone can, can have this new kingdom. That's what the resurrection is about. It's not, for, it's not any group of people. It's not any class or, or, or space or status or religion. It's anyone that, that says, yes, I love you, Jesus. Even if I only know this much about you, I love you. So if you need to pray, you can go back and pray. If, if you just want to take that in, sit and take that in. If you want to sing, uh, then, then sing with us. Let me pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this epilogue, this addendum that somehow you led John to write uh, because the story wasn't quite done yet. Because Peter needed to be reinstated because the disciples still had doubts and Jesus needed to come again and remove some of that doubt. And God, some of us have doubt in our lives. Some of us went back to work. Um, maybe some of us even denied you. But, but whatever, we, we pursue other things. We separate our vocation from our, our spiritual life. We think church is about once a week or, or just for prayer time, but not every day. And, and God, we need to come to you and we need to ask for your forgiveness. And as we do that, I pray that you would 
speak to us about what we need today. That you'd call out and ask us if we love you. And, and you, would, you would take our heart of hearts answer. If we are denying you, God, I pray that we would stop. We'd look at you. We'd confess that. We'd ask for your forgiveness and you would forgive us. If we are just starting to understand what it means to follow you, if we're just starting to understand what this kingdom is about and who you are, Jesus, I pray that, that we would hear your words that just say, follow me. Follow what you know. Do you believe that I came? Follow that. Do you believe that I'm the son of God? Follow that. Do you believe that I, I died um, to conquer sin and death and, and the devil? I, yes, Lord, I believe that. That's all we need to start. That's what Jesus would say to you today. So speak to him about what, where your life is at and, and what you need today. Thank you, God, for hearing us, for answering our prayers. Amen.